Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. And we host the Pretty OK Gamers Podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. No. Who are you again? Uh, I'm Justin, and we're we're (laughs) rather okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya. Welcome to the Life and Times of Video Games, a documentary and narrative-style podcast about video games and the video game industry, as they were in the past, and how they came to be the way they are today. My name is Richard Moss, and this is episode 24, Bully. So here I am at probably the worst school in the country, whose alumni are nothing but arms dealers, serial killers, and corporate lawyers. Real scum. And that old creep thinks he can tame me? We shall see, my friend. I only give people what they have coming to them. If it were a movie, Bully might have been painted as a poignant tale of growing up, finding your place and standing up for what's right, or weaved into a John Hughes-esque schoolyard satire. Instead, well, this happened. Uh, Mr. Thompson, I'd like to start with you, sir, because you personally led protests against the game Bully, and I'm wondering, do do you have something against the game in particular, or do you just not want it to be released altogether? Well, in 1999, I represented six parents whose three children were shot and killed in Paducah, Kentucky. Michael Carneal trained on the game Doom to do it. A week before Columbine, I predicted Columbine on the Today Show, and every bullying expert who's aware of this game has predicted that this game will lead to real-world violence in schools. That clip is from a segment on G4TV's Attack of the Show from before Bully came out, when lawyer Jack Thompson, who later got disbarred, spoke on behalf of the anti-video game violence activists and parents groups, none of whom had played Bully or even seen the game in action, but all of whom apparently assumed that it's a high school shooting and bullying simulator from the makers of what they had previously argued was a prostitute murder simulator. They fought for it to be banned, and they weren't entirely unsuccessful in their efforts, as multiple major retail stores in the UK and US refused to stock it, and Brazil banned it entirely. The uproar would reach such a fever pitch that developer Rockstar was forced to release the game under a different, less obviously provocative name in power territories, in order to fend off the attacks. Canis Canem Edit, they called it outside America. Latin for dog eat dog, the motto at fictional school Bullworth Academy, where it served as a clever metaphor not only for the game's plot, but also for the overblown controversies that Rockstar kept stumbling into. Can you believe that sort of thing is allowed to go on? And for that reason, that it's not even remotely close to being a Columbine simulator. It's the game, more than the controversies around it, that I want to talk about here. The game that should have been the focus of attention for how, and how well, it deals with its subject matter. Because there shouldn't have been anything controversial about that subject matter. I always wondered what it'd be like to be big and tough and really stupid. On the surface level, Bully follows a misfit teenager flung off to boarding school by a neglectful mother while she takes a year-long honeymoon with her creepy new husband. This teenager, Jimmy, 
is left to fend for himself in a world of entrenched cliques. Can't fix my heart with a wrench. Or could I? Rampant bullying. It's been almost three hours since I beat up a nerd. I think I'm getting withdrawn. Authoritarian teachers. You're a disgrace to the school. And, of course, daily classes that he's expected to attend. Because it is a school, after all. The curriculum demands that you do these vocabulary uh, assignments. The idea was not without precedence in the video game world. One of the best games of the mid-1980s, and the likely subject of a future episode, had done essentially the same thing. School Days by David and Helen Reedy followed the exploits of a British schoolboy as he endeavours to steal his report card by whatever means the player can devise. In the ensuing open-ended adventure, you'd need to deal with the school bully and various other kids as they try to stir up trouble for you with the teachers. So in mechanical terms, School Days was a game of mischief. Mischief making, mischief seeking and mischief avoiding. Like Bully, except that Bully would have an additional 22 years of technological advancement behind it, plus an additional army of developers to fill it with stuff, and a rather more pointed bit of social commentary that's coursing through its veins. All right, one question. How are we going to stop a load of kids from beating the crap out of each other? It's America. We go in there with threats and bribes until we get what we want. It's here where Bully takes on problems with societal structure and Western culture, that I think it's at its strongest. Where the game is, as Bully co-writer Dan Hauser once said, a response to the institutionalised categorization of people. But let's come back to that later. Let's build up to that with some context and some history. The quality of children has really gone down these last few decades. As a company, Rockstar had always been eager to push boundaries. As DMA design in the 90s, they'd sent suicidal dancing lemmings to their deaths in a series of delightfully clever, but rather darkly humoured puzzle games. Then they'd given the world one of the most inventive platformers ever in the riderless unicycle adventure Unirally, or Uniracers, for those of you in North America. Later, they'd introduced the world to open-world carjacking and wanton violence in a satirical, crime-infested, cartoony analogue of some major real-world cities, with Grand Theft Auto. And after a 2002 acquisition by Take-Two Interactive, they'd shocked the world with the uber-violent stealth horror Manhunt, which got banned post-release in New Zealand, Australia and Germany. And they'd marked a superb transition to 3D for Grand Theft Auto with the GTA 3 trilogy which in its third entry showed the clearest hint of Rockstar's future, blended together with the strongest link to its past. Grove Street, home. At least it was before I fucked everything up. 2004 game Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was a massive open-world playground where you could engage with an epic story exploring the hollowness of gang violence and self-aggrandizement or where you could instead just mess around with guns and cars and bicycles and minigames and swimming and boating and crime sprees and shopping and real estate and gang warfare and working out and fast food and racing and wandering around in what was perhaps the biggest, most fully realised virtual world we had seen in games up to that point. Everybody's too busy these days. It was really staggering how grandiose the game went on its scale and scope and that sense of freedom. Bully would not be made by the same team as San Andreas. 
It came out of Rockstar Vancouver rather than the former DMA studio, which was now renamed Rockstar North. And as such, it only had a few common personnel, most notably the co-writer Dan Hauser. But it felt almost like a reaction to San Andreas, a nod towards the value of measured authority over chaotic anarchy, as well as a shrinking down to essentials. The cheese is in the hot dog. Amazing. A focused, more intimate affair, ambitious for its themes and tone, but not its size or grandeur. An empire strikes back to no. a new hope. Why not? Do. Or do not. There is no try. Or perhaps a color purple to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, if you're a fan of movie analogies. That was such a good movie! Rockstar had spent years going bigger and bigger with every game, upping the ante, raising the melodrama, expanding the scope, and filling it with more and more stuff to do, and places to go and see, and people to hear or punch or run over. Then Bully threw all that out the window. Bully went for intimacy, not grandiosity. Restriction, not expansiveness. Structure, not chaos. And that was an intentional switch. Partly because that's how things are when you're in school. Your world is small, especially if you're in a boarding school, where you're pretty much going to be limited to going only as far as you can walk or run or skate or cycle. But also because the bully development team wanted to emphasize people and relationships. My doctor is so handsome and smart. I wonder why he's never taken a bride. Maybe that roommate of his with the leather pants is scaring off the ladies. As producer Geronimo Barrera explained in an interview with EGM around the time of Bully's release, what's going to set games apart in the future, he said, is how the world behaves. That's not just in terms of the physics, but in terms of social interactions and the level of choice within them. How is it possible? There's only so much the PlayStation 2 could handle, however. Artificial intelligence takes up tremendous amounts of processing power, effectively growing logarithmically in CPU demands as it becomes more complex. And for Bully, the designers wanted to capture the difference in dynamics between school life and the wider world. As Jimmy Hopkins, you wouldn't be interacting mainly with complete strangers like CJ in San Andreas. You'd be dealing with your classmates who live right alongside you. We'll continue with this deep dive into Rockstar's Bully right after this short break. I realised recently that while I often ask you to leave a review or a rating for my show, it's actually not that easy a thing to do. You gotta know where to go, how to get there, and that requires some extra effort. So from now on, I'm gonna make it much easier. I have a webpage you can go to that will give you simple, specific instructions and direct links for doing ratings and reviews. So if you could go to ratethispodcast.com slash L-T-V-G and follow the instructions, that would be a huge help. You can do it right now while you're listening and you'll be helping me grow this show. That's ratethispodcast.com slash L-T-V-G. Hi, I'm Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuest Show or via email at ActiveQuestPodcast at gmail.com. 
please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. All right, now let's get back to the show. When we left off, I had just finished telling you about how the technical limitations of the PlayStation 2 restricted the Bully development team in their goal of emphasizing people and relationships, which they saw as the future of video games. So these twin pressures, the technical and the creative, pushed the game down a certain path. A path where you can do favors for people in different social groups and expect that to affect how they treat you, at least temporarily. A path where you can kiss boys and kiss girls, and flirt and be romantic, whether for fun or as some sort of sly manipulation. A world that's both less and more ambivalent about your presence within it. For as much as they strove to build a reactionary living world for you to inhabit, this was still a PlayStation 2 game. And so it still had to work within the confines of an aging 300 megahertz processor with a measly 32 megabytes of RAM plus four megabytes of video memory and no dynamic storage beyond a little sliver of an eight megabyte memory card that's just for saving your progress. Which is all really tiny, considering that even when Bully came out, most home computers were at least several times more powerful, several times faster than the PlayStation 2 console. And considering that the PlayStation 3 console released just one month later, was orders of magnitude faster. Or to put it another way, the creators of Bully were liberated by their desire to be more focused in how they used the GTA 3 engine for a smaller, denser world, and yet also hopelessly hamstrung by their need to target the six-year-old PlayStation 2. Your quest, young Jimmy, is perilous, but the rewards are glorious. In practical terms, that meant compromise on some key concepts like the respect system, which dictated how Jimmy would be treated by townies and by characters from the five different social cliques. The nerds, jocks, bullies, preps and greasers. Your actions as Jimmy affected your respect scores. But technical limitations meant that, outside of missions, these effects could only be made temporary. Which is to say that you could, for example, pick a fight with someone every day, and they'll chase after you looking for retribution. And then every day, they'll have forgotten all about the previous fight. So what you get instead is that, except for the individual boys and girls you kiss, who will spend the rest of the game hopelessly in love with you, except for those kids, the only actions that really have a meaningful impact on your standing with the clicks are the preordained ones. The things written into the story as a consequence of your mission goals. Thank you. I will reward you handsomely. The rest of the time, you're just left to be as much of a dick as you like. Off the bike now! To bully or rebel or cause mischief in a school and town where pretty much everyone bullies everyone, if given the opportunity. Hmm. Maybe beating up people won't solve anything. <laughs> nah. At the same time, though, there is no clear reward system for being a dick in bully. Unlike in the GTA games, where killing people gets you money, and violent carjackings get you, well, a car. Being a dick outside of a mission in Bully is likely to lose you all your cool stuff, like firecrackers and a slingshot, as you get nabbed by a prefect I told you I bring you down. and handed a detention, which involves painstakingly mowing the lawn on the sports field 
to ever greater degrees of completeness. Isn't there a law against slave labor? During missions, it's a different story as you're often specifically required to do bad stuff, like sneaking into the girl's dorm to steal their underwear, or knocking out a bunch of jocks with a slingshot just for the fun of it. But this all serves a different function, to endear Jimmy to one click, then another and another and so on, to render him king of the school, until eventually they all turn on him, because teenagers are fickle beasts and popularity is effectively a scoring contest that you can never truly win. God, the kids here are idiots! And of course, as a part of its satire, Bully literally turned popularity, or respect as it was named here, into a score. A score that went up and down as you progressed through the story, completing missions at the behest of Jimmy's friend slash antagonist, depending on the stage of the game you're in, or a teacher, or a member of one of the cliques, or someone at the Happy Vaults Asylum Psychiatric Hospital. Missions that invariably involved Jimmy doing something to help the mission giver get retribution for a past misdeed by the mission target. Oh, the woe! The jocks have been persecuting us relentlessly! Relentlessly! Now, speaking of the missions, the team at Rockstar looked to personal experience for a lot of their inspiration in coming up with their scenarios. To remembered real-life incidents of physical violence or stolen Dungeons & Dragons books and the heroes who stepped in to help set things right. In the world of G&G, I am known as Zuralon, a god like level 30 elf fighter slash sorcerer. And also, as always, they looked to popular culture for inspiration. So trailblazing teen movies like The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and Bueller. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Bueller. as well as the classic arcade games, to their own past titles, and to TV shows and novels, the likes of Catcher in the Rye and Degrassi Junior High, and its UK equivalent, Grange Hill. Oh, not more of you. Where are you two off to? Sick like the GTA games, Bully was designed to roll in cliché, to lean in to the stereotypes that divide us as a society, to make identity wholly tribal, the nerds with their suspenders and sweater vests, squeaky voices and science projects and insecurities. I wish I was a the jocks with their sports blazers and big muscles and high levels of aggression. Help me kick this guy's ass! The preps with their fancy clothes and elitist ways. Father warned me about your kind! And so on. So yeah, anyway. It leaves you, Jimmy Hopkins, as the only one whose identity can be fluid. Yeah, I have a uniform. I guess it got put in my room. With your customizable wardrobe and... In a rare move for the industry at that point, the option to romance either sex. You're really sweet, you know that? But just as in GTA, you can drive around and listen to satirical radio stations that poke fun at the absurdity of American society. If you make the wrong move and need money fast, we're here to capitalize on that. In Bully, the exaggerated stereotypes serve as more than a design and story trope. They're an entry point for exploring how cruelty and hypocrisy is not the sole dominion of the strong. A touching point, at times, for pointing out that beneath the labels there's usually a complex and multifaceted person. I'm so sick of this school! I can set it on fire! And a vehicle by which to question the social order. This is how they educate people? It's no wonder this country's such a dump. A means of emphasizing the main story, where protagonist Jimmy, in the words of Bully co-writer Dan Hauser, was standing up to a culture that encouraged bullying by being this tough kid that wasn't sucked into that kind of world. 
and was friends with some of the weaker kids. Algae, pull yourself together. I think it's a fascinating approach to social critique, to expose the failings of the social order through the experience of an outsider who has a huge chip on his shoulder and a huge problem with authority, who finds himself forced to contend with and ultimately destroy his school's power systems, one click at a time, as he inadvertently becomes king of the school before everyone turns on him for trying to do what he thinks is right, and as he learns reluctantly that he must be a part of the world in order to change it. Oh, I'll work through your class issues all right, sweetie. It's a flawed effort, as Rockstar's attempt at empathy only really succeeds on the macro level, on the level of the ideas and the systems, but not so much on the level of the individual characters, who, except for Jimmy himself, are pretty much all unlikable, even accounting for revelations such as the cheerleader, whose breezy personality hides thoughts of suicide and a penchant for arson. And it's a fascinating game to look back on now, more than a decade later, nearly 15 years later, when Rockstar continues to focus on ever bigger, sprawling, apathetic worlds of seemingly endless immensity, packed with equally sprawling storylines about flawed, irredeemably horrid protagonists. When Rockstar still prioritizes adding more stuff and more activities, rather than more complex character interactions to its open worlds. As do nearly all the other studios making open world games. The future promised by Bully was never realised. Its rhythms never repeated. The sense of obligation provided by its daily classes and nightly curfews and rules of conduct left alone for the simulations and MMOs of this world to carry forward and to that blend of structure and openness that it so carefully managed has been left unexplored by an open-world design philosophy that, not just at Rockstar, but across the industry, prizes spacious surroundings and trivial trinkets most of all. The idea of an open world where every character is an individual, where you can internalise the map like it's your own community, where time passes meaningfully, this is still oddly novel. Bully remains one of the closest efforts to date to move towards Deus Ex lead designer Warren Spector's dream of a one-city block game, a richly detailed micro-world that's hyper-focused on a tiny community of people. The technology wasn't there, of course, to execute on it in Bully, to give you those complex social interactions that Bully's producer longed for. But I wonder what we'd get now if someone dared to take that gamble again, of an open world game set in a single small community where a player's freedom of expression, their freedom of action, comes together with a world of living individuals. A world filled with distinct personalities and routines and dreams and relationships. People whose lives you can meaningfully affect, irrespective of the story, where time passes and things change where seasons change and people change, and maybe you, like your character, will learn something profound along the way. Until then, we're left still dreaming, always dreaming, of a future that may never come.
The Life and Times of Video Games is created entirely by me, Richard Moss, with additional music and audio clips for this episode pulled from the games, Bully and San Andreas, and a few of the movies. As an addendum to the story here that I couldn't figure out how to work in earlier, I'd like to note that I think as with all Rockstar games I've played, the best moments in Bully tend to be either random things you overhear, Have you ever put a peanut butter sandwich in your pants? or the moments that emerge organically. Like the time I discovered I could sneak into the carnival without paying by jumping over the gate on a bike, only to then be arrested for assault, as I happened to land on top of someone. Or when a gang of jocks tried to beat me up, only to stop instantly at the sight of a prefect. Or when I stayed out late for the first time, and Jimmy passed out atop a shipwreck on the outskirts of the map, only to discover when he awoke the next morning that his shoes were gone, as though someone had swum out all the way to this shipwreck, climbed up there in the blackness of night, just to nab his new kicks. On a semi-related note, I rely on my supporters, on PayPal and Patreon, not to buy me new shoes, but to help me find more time to work on the show. I'd love to turn the Life and Times of video games into my job one day. So if you like what I'm doing here and you're in a position to support me, please consider donating via paypal.me slash mossrc or patreon.com slash life and times of video games. I have a full breakdown of the two donation methods and the perks they'll give you over at lifeandtimes.games slash donate. One such perk for my producer-level backers involves a special on-air shout-out, so thanks once again to Vivek Mohan, Wade Trugaskis, Simon Moss, Seth Robinson and Eric Soccer. These guys really do keep me going, and I thank you all so much for sticking with me. It was also their vote that put me on to Bully for this episode, rather than one of my other ideas, so if you want to be part of that, that link again is lifeandtimes.games/donate. You can also help the show grow by telling other people about it. Friends, family, forums, social media followers, and so on. Anyone you think might be interested. And I'd love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere else that takes podcast reviews. Head to ratethispodcast.com ltvg for instructions on the different ways and places you can do that. As always, you can find past episodes, where to listen links, donation info, partial transcripts, and so on, at the website lifeandtimes.games. Until next time, my name is Richard Moss, and this was the Life and Times Video Games. Thanks for listening. See ya. Ooh, crates! Just like a video game! What's up, everybody? My name's Garrett Morlang. Hey, everybody. I'm JJ Prudhomme. And we are the Super Gamer Boys. And we are the preeminent video game podcast in the entire world. We are trying to take over the world with all of our comedy, with news and whatnot. And we are so excited to be members of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Yes, we bring you uh, all the news you want to know every week. We bring you movie reviews, game reviews, uh, and all the goofs you want to hear. So come check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast service.